Like when you wake up in the morning, that's the best time, right? Nothing's happened at all. And so what I do for my morning routine is I immediately will go outside and I just stand there and I turn around and I look at my home. I'm going to get all choked up. I look at my home and I look at the individuals inside my home and I look at all the things that I have. And then I look at the sky and then I have a beautiful sunrise coming up and I could smell the trees. I could feel the grass on my feet like that right there. When you start to go, oh, my goodness, look what everything I have. And it's only six o'clock in the morning. So like mm -hmm. you start your day at the top and then therefore who cares? Like you're you've made it. You're all set. Six o'clock in the morning. You're very grateful for everything you have. And I get these goosebumps and I'm like, sweet. What kind of cool things are going to happen today? Oh, we better start I'm quick. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Hey, welcome back to the Changing Course podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ledger. And to kick off the new year, I think it'd be a good idea to find out who I am, why I'm doing this and get a better understanding of the Changing Course podcast. So I've invited my marketing, PR, social media manager, whatever <laughs> other titles you want to give her, Molly, to come on and drill me on some questions and put me in the hot seat like I normally do to my guests. And maybe after this, you'll find out... Uh, I don't know, a little bit more about me and why you want to listen to the show. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty funny having you on the other side of this microphone. So to start this off, why don't you just kind of give us some background on yourself? Sure. I graduated high school in 2005 and immediately joined the Coast Guard. I served 10 years in various locations along the East Coast and finally finished my tour in Rockland, Maine came here kicking and screaming. Uh, I've never been to Maine prior to the Coast Guard and I could have gone anywhere in the world, but I followed a girl and that dropped me in Maine. I fell in love with it. And so when I was coming up on my re-enlistment, I decided to be honorably discharged. We bought a house and we stayed right here. I got out in 2015 and I didn't really know what to do with myself. I did 10 years of federal law enforcement and search and rescue. So the easiest thing to do is to continue that law enforcement thing. And so I uh, applied for several police departments, landed a job in Freeport, Maine. They sent me to the Maine Criminal Justice, Justice Academy. Um, and from there, I was a police officer for five years up until just before the pandemic, I resigned. And after we had our third child, it was just getting to be too much. I work shift work, my wife works shift work, and it was just too, it was too stressful. I was done wearing the uniform. When I got graduated high school up until 2020, 15 years of my adulthood, I had to put on a uniform, shave my face and like salute the man. Uh, and I got to a point where I didn't want to do that anymore. So I resigned and I was a stay at home dad for like a year. And then I went on this weird soul searching of like, what is my purpose and why am I here? I worked at a brewery. I worked at a tree cutting service. Uh, I went and got my class A driver's license. I was like, what am I going to do? Right. Cause I'm always that 15 years of having structure in my life. And then all of a sudden you have no structure and you have to find it. That was a huge course change for me, if you will. Um, trying to figure out like wh who is Nate Ledger and believe it or not, I'm very self-conscious, like very, like my self-esteem probably needs to be raised. And you probably don't hear that a lot throughout the show, but I always wanted to make sure that like when they got to my daughters and they said like, well, what does your dad do? I wanted that answer to be, I don't know. You wanted your daughters to be proud of what you were doing? There you go. Saying? Yeah. 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 I, I, I want to make sure that my daughters are proud of who I am. And I want to make sure that they had an answer instead of, I don't know. That long adventure led you 
to changing course and podcasting. So do you want to tell us just a little bit more about what inspired you to start the podcast, the theme of the podcast? So there was two things going on. The podcast thing, for whatever reason, was always on my bucket list. I always wanted to host a podcast, maybe because I have a face for radio. (laughs) (laughs) In trying to start a podcast, I never knew what I wanted to talk about. And then I had imposter syndrome of like starting a podcast that like nobody's going to want to listen to that. So I, I kept second guessing myself of like what I was going to talk about. And I would pick a theme and then it would die off, pick a theme and then it would die off. And then when my friend was killed in the line of duty, um, I don't know, it like opened my eyes to stop worrying about what other people think. Like it just gave me this like, I don't know, I've taken my friend's death in a positive way. He changed my whole world. He changed my whole viewpoint, my paradigm on how I think about things. Those ideas would die because I was killing them inside because I was imagining what other people would think about the podcast. And that's such a backwards way of looking at life of like, well, I'm not going to start until I get all these people that say like, that's a good idea. It's like, no, just go do what you're passionate about, throw it out there and just have fun with it. And as long as you're having fun and you're comfortable with what you're doing, I think you're going to be wildly successful. So the theme popped up. Obviously, when he died, it, I took it very, very serious. Like he was a good friend of mine. I've known him all, all the way since back in high school. You're talking about a 20-year friendship that we made it a point to see each other twice a year. We talked to each other on almost a weekly basis. We we're in fantasy football groups together. Like really, really good friend of mine for a long, long time. And when he died, a lot of things surfaced. A lot of the post-trauma that I've suffered in the Coast Guard, a lot of the car accidents is my battle with alcohol, uh, my battle with all kinds of things, uh, you know, started to come up. And it was suggested that I go to therapy, which I'm not downplaying professional help. I think that's very, very important. I think you should seek it. I just was very stubborn. You know what I mean? But I think it was so powerful when I learned how to be vulnerable and I knew that I needed some sort of help. And so I thought to myself, well, instead of going to a therapist and sitting in a room with a stranger to talk about my feelings, I needed help. I needed help. So I needed education. I needed somebody to teach me how to do these things. Mm-hmm. And so then I like it just, I don't know, a light bulb went off in my head and it just dawned on me. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely not the only person that has suffered grief. and I'm definitely not the only person who has lost somebody. And then I started to get mad at myself, like I haven't dealt with this type of loss ever in my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so I made it to 36 years. Like, how lucky am I? Mm -hmm. I got to find other people that are, have suffered or have hit rock bottom that have like dealt with some tragic stuff so that one, I can check myself and go, come on, Nate, a lot more people have it worse, but also to, when I talk to these people, I find comfort in the fact that like there is a way to get over whatever it is that you're dealing with. In your podcast, you highlight stories of people who have either hit rock bottom or had a massive change in course in their life. Have you seen that there's a common factor or turning point um, in their journeys of transformation? A lot of it is time. They say time heals. I don't think it actually heals. I just think you learn to live with whatever it is that happened, right? So I talk a lot about every show or every episode is different. 
Um, we hit on grief, we hit on uh, substance abuse, we hit on death, we hit on all kinds of things. But the, the passing of time allows you to process and deal with it. And I think that's the big common, that's what everybody says is time. It's mm -hmm. like, give it some time and everything will get better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get better. You just learn how to deal with it a little bit more. Is there a specific lesson that you have learned from your guests that you have taken away to kind of help you with your, your journey? What I'm learning in talking to people is that it's inevitable. You are going to hit some sort of trial and tribulation or someone in your life is going to pass away and it, and it's going to be awful, or you're going to get fired from your job or you're going to get laid off. Or like for me, my truck blew up in my driveway one time a few years back. I remember that. But like you're going to be sitting on the couch and your truck's just going to blow up in your driveway. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, and so once you wake up to that realization, that's the, le that's the biggest lesson I've learned uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Once you come to that realization that bad things are going to happen, you then can't play victim anymore. You can't be upset and do the woe is me and the poor me's and all this other BS. It's like, okay, I knew this was going to happen and it's going to happen often. And it may not be as tragic as losing somebody, but it's going to be these obstacles that you have to battle throughout your life. If you could have anyone on your podcast, living or dead, who <laughs> would it be and why? I've thought a lot about this, uh, but sticking with that theme of living in the moment, uh, I would love to talk to Dr. Joe Dispenza. I was put onto him a while, like as I was starting this podcast, he wrote a great book about breaking the habit of being yourself. He talks about living in that moment and experiencing today for today and not worrying about the future. And I don't know, I think that's huge on dealing with course changes. Mm -hmm. When you hit rock bottom or when you're dealing with grief, like how do you get up here and let your mind control your body instead of your body controlling your mind? So if I could have like 10 minutes of just one-on-one -on -one time with him, free of charge, <laughs> I, I would take it. Has Have you implemented any of his, you know, steps or tips and tricks into, you know, your daily life? Well, what I've taken from him is the the ability to choose he talks about those lower level or high level emotions and the fact that you can, if you can control your emotions, it, you can, it's like a superhuman strength, right? You could be set, something can happen to you tragically and you're sad about it, or you could find a way to, okay, so my best friend was murdered. I, yes, it, I'm very sad about it. I miss him every day. Every day I think about him. I could be stuck in that lower level emotion of sadness and in grief and never continue on. Or I could try to pull out like, what do I need to change in my life? So that, you know, what I mean, like, so he, he like lit a fire under me to knock off my bucket list and become an entrepreneur and be the best human being I could possibly be. And maybe stop like choosing to do these things that could screw up your life. Mm -hmm. I keep getting stuck on the, the higher level emotions versus the lower level emotions. And with your episode with Anthony Pringle, we kind of like explored the the landscape of like emotional and physical pain and if they coexist. Do you think that these levels of emotions can coexist? Should they coexist? When it comes up, the lower level emotions, they do exist. They can coexist. You should not uh, subdue them or compartmentalize them or um, ignore them because I think that's what happens when they boil over. Mm -hmm. 
because they're going to exist. Like I just said, it, obstacles and trials and tribulations are inevitable. Well, mm -hmm. so are these lower level emotions. They're inevitable. But my thing is, is like the doctor over here, Dispenza, he's taught me to face them head on and deal with them and ask yourself, well, why am I sad? What makes me sad about this? And then I can have my moments of tears or crying so I can experience the sadness and then say, okay, now I have a choice. I could be sad for the rest of the day, which won't change anything. It won't bring him back. Or I could, or I could make him proud of me. I could go, go out and do something with my life and then use his example of like, at any moment in time, it could be over. So if today's my last day, I'm sure as hell not going to go to bed tonight being angry. I'm sure as hell not going to watch my wife go to work being resentful. I'm sure as hell not going to kiss my kids on the school bus being mad at them for coloring all over the walls. Like, no way. Today's my last day here. Mm -hmm. Like, so I think that you, it's the shift that's important. It's not that they don't coexist at the same time. It's being able to move from that sadness to a really good spot. Mm -hmm. And please, that is difficult. Mm -hmm. Very, very hard. And sometimes requires professional help. I've just read a lot of books, read, 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 read. There's so much information out there that if you were to read and consume and then put to practice. So like I practice those feelings. Like when you wake up in the morning, that's the best time, right? Nothing's happened at all. And so what I do for my morning routine is I immediately will go outside and I just stand there and I turn around and I look at my home and I, I'm going to get all choked up. I look at my home and I look at the individuals inside my home and I look at all the things that I have and then I look at the sky and then I have a beautiful sunrise coming up and I can smell the trees. I can feel the grass on my feet like that right there when you start to go, oh my goodness, look what everything I have and it's only six o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So like you start your day at the top and then therefore who cares? Like you're, you've made it. You're all set. Six o'clock in the morning. You're very grateful. For everything you have. And I get these goosebumps and I'm like, sweet, what kind of cool things are going to happen today? <laughs> and when you focus on that, I break it down to like the easiest things in the world that people kind of neglect. When I'm pulling out of like a busy intersection and I got to cross a four lane highway and I'm coming up onto it and all of a sudden the light just happens to turn green at that moment in time and there's no cars coming. I could just like peel right out. People just like that skims right over your head and you just like take it for granted. For me, I look at those little tiny experiences as like moments of joy. I think if you focus on those more, right, train your brain to see those things, your brain then will have an inability to see the bad things. Mm -hmm. And you could shift all of these things to positives and just continuously hammer down, hammer down, day in and day out, positive, find the rainbows, and eventually it becomes second nature, becomes a habit. Yeah. Something cool that I think you touched on a little bit was, you know, you have three beautiful daughters. What's like the biggest life lesson they've taught you? Oh my goodness. What's the biggest life lesson? They've, they've made it so that I don't live for myself anymore. They've, they've become front stage and the focal point of everything that I do. Mm -hmm. They're always listening and they're always watching. And so it forces me to be a good role model. It forces me to be a good man, good husband. It forces me to have good values and good morals. How can you teach a child to do something that you're not doing yourself? 
something cool that you touched on, I believe it was in Dr. Hines episode was um, just kind of like leading with kindness and you're setting an example for your daughter. So every step that you take is leading with kindness, but have you always lived your life that way? No, no, no. Um, (laughs) No, I don't know how I got here. I had to grow up pretty fast. So in high school, I was doing my own thing. I got my own car, I got my own job and I had to make my own money. And if I wanted to go put gas in my car, I had to go and get it myself. So I started working young. I wanted to go to college. All my friends in high school were coming back with all these acceptance letters to all these colleges. I wasn't going to college. You know, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, but I didn't apply myself in high school. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the grades to get into a prestigious college, nor did I even know what I wanted to do. It wasn't until, like I said, I keep blaming him (laughs) or using him as an excuse. But when Alex died, I finally had to sit down and, and ask myself, like, what is your purpose? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I may have burned a couple bridges here and there, but I think redemption is huge. I think people should be afforded the opportunity for forgiveness. I may have a certain reputation. I grew up in Connecticut. So like that group of people that I knew when I was young, dumb, um, and just making all kinds of mistakes, that reputation, I want to kill that person. And my new reputation of who I am trying to, you know, get people to be vulnerable and be kind is the reputation I really want people to focus in on. But then at the same time, the puzzle doesn't come together without all of the pieces. Yeah, you can't have one without the other. The biggest thing, like when I interviewed uh, Brian Duffy, my very first episode, he alluded to the fact that he still doesn't forgive himself after all these years. And from an outlier, and I look at him and I go, dude, you've been sober for like seven or eight years. You're running a your own company. You got a bike shop. You've got a family. Like everything's like tight and strong. Like congratulations. And he still won't give himself that pat on the back. Mm-hmm. I, I deal with the same kind of thing. Like my reputation and what I did and the mistakes I made early on in my life. I wish I could go back and change them, but you can't. It's just our responsibility to take chances, look for opportunities. When the door opens, walk through it, get rid of that fear and and just do things. And the how will just come to be if you let it. All right, that's a wrap. 2023 is over. Welcome to 2024. I am very excited for this year. I can feel it in my bones. Good things are going to happen. I want to take a moment and give a special thank you to Molly for sitting down and getting to know me. You know, her dedication and hard work has been instrumental in making this podcast a success. I want to start the new year by just reminding everybody that it really takes a team to complete the mission. Having a good team behind you is, uh, is awesome. It's paramount. And uh, I can't thank Molly enough and my producer over at Nonsensible Productions. Without them, none of this would be possible. And especially the listeners. You know, I had people that were in the very beginning donating just enough money for me to buy a microphone. And so the evolution of this entire thing and how many people are behind me, um, it's been really uh, humbling. I'm super pumped about next month's episode. I sit down with a man that I have high respect for 
United States Navy Master Chief Daniel Nicholson. We're going to talk about his time in the Navy, what kind of course changes uh, were produced from that experience. So strap in, stay tuned, and get ready for 2024. I always look right back at him and go, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. It's not good, uh, but it is good. I'm contradicting myself, but um, I don't know.